that people will pray for that particular situation that you record. So we want the best for you. All right, I'm going to continue on with our teaching series from, which kicked off last week, called The Genius of Jesus. And I figured that since this is the teaching series that we're in, it's probably a good idea to do um, a test to see if there are any geniuses here at ABC. So are you prepared? Are you happy for this? <laughs> okay. We've got a broad range of responses. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do an IQ test. And the first question is, what does IQ stand for? This is going to be the real clincher to see if there are geniuses here or not. Oh, sorry, intelligence quotient, is it? Is that how you say it? But that's spelt right though, isn't it? Okay, Whew. all right, that's good. That would be a terrible start if I was leading an IQ test. So... Quotient basically means measure, okay? This is an intelligence measure, a measurement of your intelligence. So there are no prizes other than the knowledge that you are a genius. Um, so first question is going to be on the screen, and I think I've given you multi-choice, which is very generous of me. First question, which word can logically replace the question mark? Here's the statement, water is to a pipe as... Something is to a wire. Is it cord, electricity, heat, or gas? Call them out. Cord, electricity, any advance? No? Okay, good. If you said electricity, that is a tick for you, okay? Thought I'd start off with an easy one, so they're only going to get harder. All right, here's a numbers one. Numbers one, the people like all the numbers people are pumped. Everyone else is like, ugh, numbers. Which number logically comes next in the series? Four, six, nine, six, 14, six, gap. Is it six? Is it 17? Is it 19? Or is it 21? Hmm. Call them out if you think you know. 19, 17, someone said. Any others? The answer is 19. Okay, do you want to know why? Because the pattern, the sixes are constant, but the four to nine to 14 to 19 goes up in fives. Easy. Little pattern there. All right. Took me ages, that one. Okay, next one. This, this is tricky. Which, what does the resulting cube look like if you fold the cube together? Okay, so that's the, that's the cutout. What's it going to look like? Is it going to look like A, B, C, D, or E? I'm actually going to give you time to ponder on this. So, once you think you've nailed it. Ooh, confidence from the back corner. B, any advance on B? Okay. Okay, very confident that it's B. I'm... Very encouraged by that and very disheartened with myself because that was one of the ones I got wrong. So, <laughs> so clearly you guys smashed me in that one. All right, this one here. Casey has to move th uh, 23 huge boxes using his, uh, from his truck to the loading dock. His forklift can only hold three boxes at once. This is clearly a very real-world problem. How many times does Casey have to visit the loading dock? Five, six, seven, or eight? Eight. 
Okay. Jenny, you happy with eight? Yeah, good call. It is eight. All right, good one. Because, I don't know, some sort of thing to do with maths. I'm not sure about the answer to that. All right. <laughs> Number five, which of the shapes below can be composed from the loose parts? So you've got those little loose bits there. What do they make together, A, B, C, or D? Uh, there's a lot of conferring going on in this area. <laughs> it is D. Okay. Ooh. Luckily, we're not taking notes. Okay, all right. Um, number six. Are there 53 letters in the sentence? Yes or no? Look at you all counting. Okay, that wasn't actually a legit question in the IQ test. Um, okay, the answer is no, because I counted, but I put that one in there just to see if anyone was like, and tell you what, you guys were quiet, like quietly counting in your head. Um, so if you want to find out more, there is plenty of online IQ tests, and um, just, just don't do what I did uh, earlier this week, because I've done a number of IQ tests this week just to prep myself and to get some things here and I one test I did had 40 questions and there was a time limit you had to do it in 20 minutes and I was just pumping it out as quick as I could but concentrating really hard those numbers all the words all the patterns and I was, I was actually feeling pretty good as I progressed through the 40 questions and thinking I had a good score and I was really looking forward to finding out you know, what level my IQ was, and as I submitted my final answer, the next web page opened up, and it said, to find out your IQ, please pay $50 US. And I was like, oh! So clearly, my IQ was so low, and I failed the test, and um, got sucked in by a website, which um, isn't uncommon. So anyway... But there is a problem with IQ testing, and also, please know that you did very well. Okay, if you got five out of five, you um, are only a couple of points probably below Einstein. So, well, I actually made that up, I don't know that for sure. <laughs> but the problem with an IQ test is actually a very limited form of measurement. So, it really emphasises your ability to think and to reason and to rationalise, but it kind of ignores other facets of human um, capacity, like practical skills that we might have, or um, our creativity, or our curiosity, and it, and it really disregards some of the emotional qualities that we have as people. And so IQ tests have been really popular in recent decades. That maybe you've had to do one if you've ever applied for a particular job, or maybe you've had to um, do some tertiary studies and they've wanted to test you, you've had to take an IQ test. And I think the Western world really values intelligence. Um, and that's probably because we've been influenced largely by the Enlightenment. So if you're not sure what that was, it was a, an intellectual movement during, across Europe during the 17th and 18th centuries, and mainly driven by scientists and philosophers. And, and they believed that the highest end of humanity was to think deeply. That was the goal of being human, to think deeply. And, and please know there's nothing wrong with using the brain that God has given you. And clearly you've all got a very good brain. But in the pursuit of rational thought, a lot of these Enlightenment guys, a lot of these academics kind of disregarded the value of emotions and feelings. And so the truth is, 
as humans, we're not robots and we're not, we're not machines. We do have the capacity to, to think rationally and reasonably and intelligently, but we also have emotions and, and feelings and these make up a big part of who we are. And so in recent decades, social scientists have been developing what's known or really focusing on what's known as emotional intelligence. And essentially this is the ability to understand emotions that, that we have, but also emotions of other people. And, and particularly to empathise with what people might be going through, to sort of to feel what they feel, to see what they see, and, and to get alongside people in tough times to really celebrate the good and the bad and to be there with people. But the problem with emotional intelligence is that there is no, there's no academic process to accurately, accurately measure it. So often emotional intelligence is, is overlooked in the Western world. For example, if you're going to applying for a job, maybe as an accountant or something, and you, you write down on your CV, look, I'm, I'm okay with numbers, but I'm really good at feeling other people's struggles. That's probably not going to get you a job as an accountant. Or if you, you know, have to apply to university or something and you write on the application form, I'm not good at reading books, but I can really read body language. <laughs> That's, I mean, unless you're taking a psychology course, uh, it's probably not going to get you into you know, university if that's what you put down. And, and probably on top of this in New Zealand, there is, there is uh, some perception that empathy is a bit of a weakness. Uh, particularly in New Zealand culture, especially amongst guys, it seems to be sometimes the assumption that recognising emotions or even maybe considering the feelings of others is certainly not particularly manly. But I wonder if perhaps one of the greatest insights that Jesus reveals is that empathy is the highest form of human intelligence. So you would know that the heart of the Christian message is that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Now, if that's not empathy, I don't know what is. I mean, in Jesus, God stepped out of eternity and he took on flesh and bone and he was willing to walk among us so that we could live in freedom, so that we could have eternal life. Now, that is absolutely massive. Well, I think there's something more significant about God being with us in Jesus. So I believe that Jesus did not simply come to make sure that we could understand God. I think Jesus also came so that we would know God understands us. He gets us. And if you read the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, you will notice that almost every time Jesus encountered someone, he showed empathy. So for example, uh, Mark chapter 10 records that on one occasion, a wealthy young man came up and approached Jesus and he asked Jesus how he should, um, what he had to do to receive eternal life. And Jesus said, simple, you need to sell your possessions, give your money to the poor and follow him, follow Jesus. And, and according to the record, that rich young man just dropped his head and went away really sad because he had great wealth and it was a a really challenging commitment that Jesus was putting before him. But what's interesting is in the middle of the conversation, 
Mark records this line, that Jesus looked at him, looked at the young man, and loved him. I mean, Jesus could easily have seen this guy as just another selfish, spoiled brat, you know, who didn't want to give up his wealth. But instead, Jesus looked at him with gentleness and compassion. He loved him. And Jesus showed empathy and understanding to almost all the interactions that he had with people. This is why he healed the sick, and this is why he fed the hungry, this is why he taught the ignorant, he befriended the lonely, why he valued the least, why he guided the lost. Jesus was motivated by his compassion. This is uh, what we read in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It was really important to realize that whenever Jesus had compassion on someone, he didn't simply just feel sorry for their situation. His compassion moved him to do something. Jesus showed empathy and that was love in action. And perhaps one of the best examples of that is when Jesus was under pressure. It's recorded in Luke chapter 14. If you've got a Bible, welcome to follow along with me. But it's just a short, simple story. I'm going to set the scene for you. Um, Jesus has been invited to a dinner with the religious elite. And Jesus is not really popular with the religious elite. So there's Probably some sort of ulterior motive, some sort of suspicious thing happening. But anyway, it's a, it's a dinner date. And the fact happens that this, this dinner invitation is going to occur on the Sabbath day. And so what you need to know is the Sabbath day was the holy day for the Jewish people. And the point of the Sabbath was to step aside from the hustle and bustle of everyday life, to remember God, to rest from their work, and to reflect on how they'd lived in the week prior. And so the problem was that the religious elite had added a whole bunch of rules and regulations to the Sabbath. And they basically said what a person was allowed to do and not allowed to do, and these rules were really, really complicated. And so the religious leaders had kind of clouded God's original intent for the Sabbath. So that's the background, and this is, this is what happens. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? Now this is a, this is a really fascinating setup. Uh, Jesus is at this dinner party, and the religious elite are watching him closely. And there's also a man there who is suffering from a condition we would now know as edema, uh, swollen limbs, swollen arms and swollen legs, likely caused by heart failure or um, liver damage or possibly even kidney disease. We don't know the cause, but we know the symptoms. And so, maybe awkwardly, Jesus makes this man the center of the conversation. And he asks, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? And this is more than just a, a legal clarification. This is really a question about the character of God, the one who established the Sabbath day. So, is God a God of rules and regulations? Or is he a God of mercy and compassion? 
Is God a, a, a God who just sits back and is sort of distant and detached from people's suffering? Or does he reach into someone's situation and show love in action? You'd think that the religious leaders would have an answer to this simple question. They would be willing to share their thoughts. I mean, they were considered the intellectual elite of the day. Their, their very status in society was based on their authority to interpret and understand the mind of God. So they should be able to answer, right? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. You know, that silence must have been deafening. Jesus answers, asks, asks a very simple question, and no one can give him an answer. And so Jesus does what Jesus was always going to do, and he heals the man from his sickness. You know, I kind of, I don't know, maybe you think this too, but I wonder why that sick man was even at the dinner party. Could it be that the religious elite had brought him in as a patsy, as some sort of pawn in their game to try and trap Jesus? I mean, it's, if that was the case, it's very likely that the religious, elite, religious leaders expected Jesus to heal the sick man. And then that would give them something to criticize him for. And so it's a really sad irony that those religious leaders knew what should be done. They knew that that man should be shown compassion, but they were unwilling to do that themselves. And instead, Jesus did what was required. He had compassion. He did the good that needed to be done, regardless of the time or even of the day. And I wonder if over the years the Christian church has sometimes fallen into that same trap that those religious leaders were in 2,000 years ago. You know, if we went down... Centennial Ave or you know, Main Street of most towns or cities in New Zealand and asked people on the street what Christianity was all about. What do you think they'd say? I think they'd say religion. I think they might say money. I think they might say power or privilege or abuse. And you know, you've probably read or seen some of those recent news articles, prominent churches in New Zealand, Australia and around the world where it does seem to be that's a big focus. I don't think many people would say Christianity is all about loving God with your heart and soul and mind and strength, or loving your neighbour, or loving your enemy, or even caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And I think maybe the Enlightenment has influenced our society, but also influenced the church. Because often Christians believe that having knowledge about God, being really well informed about the Bible, is a sign of a mature Christian. And so, so, so don't get me wrong, the Bible is essential for Christian life. You know, we need to read it, study it, meditate on it, wrestle with it, and apply it to our lives. There is timeless truth in this book, in God's word. But knowing God is not exclusively about absorbing information. To know God is to experience intimacy with him, to, to think like Jesus, to, to speak like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to feel like Jesus. 
And that's why God's influence in our lives is always worked out in very practical ways. Look at this list of attributes, commonly known as the fruits of the Spirit. But God's Holy, Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You know, these, these, are not, these are not intellectual characteristics that just sort of stay in your brain. These have to be worked out in our actions. We think this, we speak this, we do this, we feel this. And these are the qualities that Jesus showed to the people he met. That rich young man, the man with the swollen limbs, the crowds, the countless others, they experienced the empathy of Jesus. And you know, I think 2,000 years later, our world needs to experience the empathy of Jesus. You know, we, are, we are starting to come out the other side of a global pandemic, thankfully. It's, it's clear though that some of the health problems are going to have some long-term implications, not just in New Zealand, but around the world. But maybe even more significant than that is, is some of the social disruption, some of the social division, some of the social disconnection that people in New Zealand and around the world have felt. And then you chuck in a whole bunch of other issues, inequality, racism, conflict, corporate greed, climate change, you know, the world's a pretty messy place. And that's just globally. You know, we haven't started to think personally. We've all got stuff going on with our family, our friends, our workmates, neighbours, whatever. There's a lot happening. And so while I think that empathy is not only the highest form of human intelligence, it could be our greatest sign of strength. Because if you've have ever had to bear the burden of another person, that takes great strength of character. If you've ever had to carry the wounds of someone who is suffering, you know that takes depth of maturity. And I think of people who have nursed someone through a terminal illness, or someone who have had to, had to care for another who is facing mental health challenges. Maybe you're a parent of a rebellious child, or you're a middle manager who's always got to patch it up with the workers after the boss just goes on a rage. Maybe you're a teacher who volunteers your time to tutor a struggling student, or a missionary who is working in the slums just pushing back against poverty, or a counsellor who walks with a couple in the midst of their marriage difficulties, or a worker on the front lines who has to deal every day with angry clients and angry customers. You know, showing empathy in those situations is really tough. And many of you here or even listening online have been in those tough situations and you've got difficult people in your life. At work, at home, in your extended family, school, on the street. You know, showing empathy and compassion to those people is, is sometimes really hard. So I want to commend you for your strength. I want to encourage you to continue to show empathy, understanding to that wild teenager, compassion to your frustrated boss, grace to your cranky neighbour. You know, you don't need to have an IQ, a high IQ, to show empathy. All of us are capable of caring. 
Theodore Roosevelt was uh, one of the greatest presidents of America. He received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1906. And he said this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I wonder what it would be like if the empathy of Jesus infused and influenced all our relationships. Even those prickly people that we know, we were able to show a little bit of understanding to. So I do just want to give you a simple challenge, and it's this, to think of one person, one person that you could show empathy to. I'm not, I'm not asking you to become their best friend, okay? but just someone that you could show a little understanding to, maybe some compassion, maybe a little bit of grace about where they're at. Because here's the thing, if you do that, my guess is that not only will your emotional intelligence be improved, but some of the genius of Jesus' empathy will rub off on you. Because when we show empathy to others, that's when we are most living and loving like Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful that through Jesus we can begin to understand you and it blows our minds that you want to understand us. We're grateful that Jesus is our guide and our example for showing empathy. We just ask that he would help us. He would strengthen us. He would give us that insight 